0: The mural movement is undoubtedly Mexico's greatest contribution to contemporary art and its legacy can be seen in every city in the country and throughout the world.
1: The Mexican mural movement that began in the early 1920s essentially began when the Mexican government, still trying to heal after 10 years of violent revolution, offered public walls to painters. They wanted art that would teach an official history of Mexico to a largely poor, illiterate populace.
2: And uh, so people came from all over the world to observe the painting of these murals in Mexico City.
1: Here's author Susan Vogel.
2: And they often had them painted in public places where the common person would see The murals. So these are government walls.
1: Often the murals are found within old colonial buildings with courtyards inside.
2: So from the outside, they look like kind of monolithic, rectangular, three story buildings. Um, But inside, they'll have one or two courtyards. And in the courtyards, there are kind of balconies or porticos. And those are the walls that were painted. So if people are walking to their offices, or to classrooms, they're walking past the the murals.
1: Today, these murals are free for anyone to see. You don't have to pay anything to see them. Here's Fanny Blauer. She grew up in Mexico City.
3: And it's amazing to come to this building where, and then you suddenly find this courtyard, and it's just art everywhere <laughs> yeah. and
2: people just wa- working there and walking by it and you and you know when we just we study it from afar and we just become so enamored with it and then for us to see it in person it's just so incredible and then you just see people going to work and walking by and it like, ah,
4: like, ah, whatever.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay this is Nueva's Voces the podcast by Artists de Mexico in Utah part 13 In this episode, we're continuing to talk about the muralist movement, and specifically, some of the earliest works by one of the movement's most famous muralists, Diego Rivera. Remarkably, not only would Rivera later attempt to capture Mexico's entire history in a single mural, he helped to create a new national identity for Mexicans and bring the country together after its brutal civil war.
0: His worldview shocked many. He was a revolutionary, an eloquent and impassioned defender of collective justice. Despite his notoriety, the people love his paintings, and today his works are clearly some of Mexico's greatest national treasures. That's one opinion of Rivera and his work from a Global Village
1: Travel Guide video. Rivera was talented and charismatic, but as we'll talk about a little later, he was also controversial. Regardless, his murals created a spectacle.
2: Yeah, and then Diego made it more of a spectacle by, you know, carrying a gun and putting on all kinds of shows for people. And
1: <laughs> Rivera completed his first mural in the Mexico City National Preparatory School, where the mural movement essentially began. That's something we talked about, if you remember, in the last episode.
2: The next project was in the Ministry of Education. And so that's where people, teachers, you know, it, it's the, it's where the edu- all of the education, um, work for the country is done in terms of curriculum and policy and all of that.
1: It was here, beginning in 1923, that Rivera began working with a team of artists on the walls of the two courtyards, each with three stories. By 1928, he had created over a hundred fresco panels, covering over 1,500 square meters.
2: So the one of the courtyards he painted as the court of labor, and the other one was the court of fiestas.
1: Rivera liked to contrast the wealthy imperialists, usually filthy rich Americans, with hardworking, genuine Mexican laborers and indigenous people. Specifically, panels found on a long corridor of archways are scenes in direct contrast.
2: In this one, the Night of the Poor is contrasted with a, a similar mural called The Banquet of Wall Street. So that one shows sort of um, John D. Rockefeller and his ilk at a banquet with a bottle of champagne on ice in the middle, a ticker tape in their hands because they're watching as their wealth increases.
3: Right. And he's wondering about them. Like, a safe that really behind
2: them with all of you know, their stocks and bonds, I guess.
1: Another mural shows a fancy cocktail party of wealthy people who seem to be binge drinking on champagne. One man in a tuxedo is passed out drunk. Contrast this unrestrained debauchery with another mural called Night of the Poor, showing a group of poor women and children huddling together while a group of wealthy aristocrats leer in from outside. Most people think Rivera was evoking how foreign companies, many of them wealthy Americans, milked the wealth out of Mexico prior to the revolution.
2: Part of the reason for the revolution was to, for Mexico to assert its own independence from the U.S. and its independence from foreign influences and its ability to make its own decisions and to care for its own population.
3: I think I'm uh, I'm speaking in terms of uh, someone who just sees these paintings without knowing history. And I can see this nowadays. This is a situation that still happens in Mexico. You don't have to be a foreigner to experience the the division and the segregation, the cultural segregation of someone sitting on your table. It's still there. Mexico City is a a perfect example, I call it the city of contrasts. Because you can go to a neighborhood that is very upscale and people who are sitting on the tables of very fancy restaurants are all white white Mexicans, more European features. And you see the indigenous people or the mestizo people outside working on the parking, uh, ballet parking, or selling gum, You know, kids selling gum. And I specifically recall, recall this scene in that neighborhood where uh, there's a park across the street from this really nice neighborhood, Polanco. And there was a family of indigenous people eating in a circle, eating their tortillas with the pieces of, uh, uh, of nopal, of cactus. And you cross the street and there's this really fancy upscale restaurant with mostly um, you know, rich Mexicans.
1: In context of when Rivera painted these murals, he was commenting on the inequity between rich foreigners and poor Mexicans. But Fanny says the inequity today exists between Mexicans themselves.
3: This is very uh, uncomfortable to me because I see it still in my city, in my country.
4: Mm. Luis, thoughts? Well, to me, the, the most striking part about this image is the man in overalls. He's kind of, I don't know, I'm pulling from my personal experience, it's like he's telling the two people in front of him, look, you're not on the list kind of thing, right? But at the same time, his other hand is kind of pulling at the leaves of the bushes that are hiding the three, what I assume to do, like American men, right? And I've encountered people like that, and and, and it's very difficult to process when you feel like they come from your community, they look like you, they maybe think like you, they've gone through similar obstacles and challenges like you, yet they're a gatekeeper and kind of protecting those that oppress you. And so that's the one thing that kind of stands out to me here, and it's, uh, yeah, I definitely still see that today. Finally, one
1: last comment on these series of murals. Many of them are adorned with red banners overhead, with messages. Susan says it was during this project that Rivera allowed the Salt Lake City-born artist Pablo O'Higgins to assist him with the project. Susan, of course, authored a biography about Higgins titled Becoming Pablo O'Higgins.
2: And uh, this is where Pablo O'Higgins first arrived. And Pablo started his first work assisting Diego was to paint those um, banners. It's sort of like a ribbon, a red ribbon that um, is above a lot of the doorways and that describes things. So he was writing things like the land is owned by everybody, just like the air and the water, things like that, slogans.
1: While we're on this topic of Pablo O'Higgins, who is quite a fascinating character himself, apparently he went to Mexico City as a young man and connected with Diego Rivera after he read a magazine that his mother had.
2: And his mother was a upper-middle-class, you know, lady who had uh, luncheons and poured tea and you know she had a magazine called The Arts Mm. and it had an article in it about Diego Rivera's projects in Mexico City that he had just come back from Paris to work on these mural projects Pablo was an art student um, then Paul Higgins from Salt Lake City Utah and uh, he read this magazine article and he said he wrote a letter to Rivera and he said it's really looks really interesting what you're doing. Rivera wrote back and said, come down and see our project. So Pablo arrives there, 1923, by train, and goes over to Diego Rivera's house, knocks on the door. Rivera gives him a roll of drawings and says, come to the Ministry of Education tomorrow and see what we're doing. And Pablo is one of the spectators, artists from the U.S., from lots of other countries, watching this painting going on. And then apparently after six months, Diego says, wow, that kid's still here. <laughs> Get down here and work. And so Pablo starts, Paul starts grinding paints for Rivera. So there were a lot of people from the U.S. there. And some of them became assistants to Rivera. Others became lovers.
1: Mm.
2: And uh, and then a few of them continue to, like Pablo, who's, he's the only one, I think, who actually stayed and became a Mexican citizen. Many of them stayed for quite a while and painted there.
1: Okay, let's skip forward to another work started by Diego Rivera beginning in 1929 in Mexico's National Palace. It was a massive undertaking to capture the entire history of Mexico with a single mural. The mural was to celebrate the Mexican Revolution and the overthrow of the Porfirio Diaz dictatorship and to help Mexican people create and celebrate a new national identity. If you can, see it on our website.
2: This one's kind of controversial because by now Mexico has a new president and it's Plutarco Calles and he is anti-communist and he suddenly the muralists are not feeling quite as welcome and they're not being offered the walls. I mean, if you're going to do massive public murals, you need the government's approval. So now there's a president who doesn't support the communist muralists, and this is the time when a lot of the muralists come to the U.S. So Siqueiros comes to the U.S., and Orozco comes to the U.S., and Diego will come to the U.S.
1: For Rivera, a known communist and the leader of the peasant and worker bloc of the party, he found himself in an awkward position when he started working for the new anti-communist president.
2: He get, gets kicked out of the Mexican Communist Party, not surprisingly. And uh, But before he does quite a bit of this mural before he leaves. A lot of people are not happy at all. And there was a big scandal over this mural. One of the people who was kind of raising um, issues about it was our own Pablo O'Higgins. <laughs> Because Pablo Higgins is on the verge of going to study in Moscow. He's very a very, good member of the Communist Party. And he's really not happy with what Diego Rivera is doing. Hmm. So a lot of the, the hardcore communists are very upset with Rivera. And Pablo Higgins is no longer working as an assistant to Diego Rivera at this point
1: the communists alleged that rivera had sold out to the anti-communist interests and watered down his original plans for the mural
2: they say that it was supposed to have in the middle of this mural underneath the eagle i think an image of a, Me- a w- mexican woman with the fruits of mexican labor and instead they made it something innocuous they took her out and put it, you know some fruit or something like that just something very less political it's a little It doesn't seem terribly obvious, but it was enough to really make people angry at this time.
1: Regardless of how the communists felt about the mural at the time, you don't have to see it in person to appreciate the magnitude of the project. The History of Mexico mural consists of four main sections, and they are huge, some as big as 70 meters by 9 meters. The bottom section portrays the Spanish conquest and moves up, through independence, and finally,
0: the revolutionary figures towards the top. Rivera's powerful work depicts the history of Mexico from the conquest by Cortes until the revolution of 1910. His intention was to create a visual textbook for the illiterate, portraying Mexico's past and telling the stories of the heroes and villains of national history.
3: There's just so much <coughs> going on in this painting. As you, I grew up going to this place, and I remember it was it's still overwhelming. Every every single thing that I see, you really have to dedicate and see it from different angles. As you come uh, on from the center, there's a middle uh, stairs on the in the center, and then you go up, and then you can go to the right or you can go to the left, and then you c- and there's a balcony where you can actually see the whole thing. So it really, the way it was structured, the, stru- the stairs were structured, it invites you to take the time and observe everything that is happening because it's basically the history of Mexico, an mm-hmm. mm-hmm. in in interpretation of the history of Mexico by Rivera.
1: I mean, it really does cr- give, it it it's a mass. It seems like a massive, overwhelming project, first of all, to try to cram one's own country's history <laughs> into one, a wall it's or a, a, you know, a room. Mm-hmm. And all at once but if you can uh, I think he did a pretty good job I mean I think most people would agree I mean is cramming so much of that history into a an area where you can have context of like here's what we've been through <laughs> and 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 here's perhaps where we're going but let's keep all of this in mind as far as this is what has shaped us um all at once I mean that that's extremely powerful but the other thought I had is that I cannot think of any in this country that I've seen of a similar attempt to capture the history of our own country, um, you know, the history of America.
2: And that's only 200 years. <laughs> and there's only 200 years, so yeah. we're,
1: we don't have to deal with as much time as, as as Mexico has. Yeah, she means barely over 240 years, but still relatively short, right? And I can't think of any. Maybe there, is, maybe there are some works out there, but I can't think of anything offhand. I certainly don't think there's any famous works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... The fact that nobody's maybe attempted that or at least attempted an honest attempt, you know, even if you have a mural or some kind of painting where you're trying to show this moment in history, often you're leaving things out Mm -hmm. or it's from one perspective. So let's stop the tape real quick right here. I want to amend my statement from that moment because, as it turns out, there have been efforts by artists to tell the story of the United States history through public works of art. One example can be seen in the frieze of the Rotunda in the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., where there's a panorama depicting significant events in U.S. history. It only goes up to the birth of aviation in 1903, but it's a nice try.
2: Yeah, and there was the the Work Project Administration, <clears throat> um, New Deal art projects that were influenced very much by the Mexican muralist movement. And um, that it did a lot of that, showing history, but probably not the entire history. But yeah. just think of what this was for. This was for creating a national identity where there had been not been one. Mm. There had been or there had been one that was fragmented and European and you know, made up a lot of different people who didn't speak the same languages and had their separate and distinct cultures. So this was really like it was like creating a comprehensive
3: textbook on a wall.
1: It's clear that Rivera spent a lot of time. On little details, I
3: just see a lot of detail that I still see in Mexico: the faces, the artifacts, the animals, the expressions of the faces. Um, you know, I live in this. My, my family lives in this plaza in Mexico City, where every year in in July, uh, hundreds of uh, Mexicans gather in their ancestral outfits uh, with feathers. Uh, And I look at this mural, (laughs) and it's like I'm looking at that festival that still happens in Mexico, in that plaza. Mm -hmm. It looks very positive, doesn't it?
4: Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. In spite uh, of all the violence in it? Yeah, I think after seeing Orozco pieces, it's definitely cleaned up, Mm -hmm. right? And the colors are vibrant. Um, but one thing you mentioned, Ross, is I definitely see honesty, mm-hmm. right? It's acknowledging the history. of Perhaps it's not showing it as it actually happened with all the bloodshed and violence, but it's all there. Mm-hmm. And I think going back to your question about pieces in, in the United States, I think the attitude isn't as honest about our history because that would dismantle Manifest Destiny and all that. And so mm-hmm. until we're able to process that and acknowledge that, I don't think we'll have any representations of our true history.
1: There may not be a comprehensive mural of United States history that honestly acknowledges our country's most shameful moments, as well as its proudest. Today, we can learn about Native Americans being slaughtered under the guise of Manifest Destiny, or the institution of slavery, or the systemic discrimination and oppression of people of color in dramatic films or documentaries. But I don't think we've ever seen public art on those matters. It's all too depressing and sad. Then again, how Americans remember our own history through public art and monuments has been changing in some respects. The removal of statues of Confederate leaders in the South or the recent installment of the National Lynching Memorial in Montgomery, Alabama indicate that in some ways Americans are ready for honest accounting of our history, however sad or shameful all of that may be. Diego Rivera began painting the History of Mexico mural in 1929, He then left to work on other projects in the U.S., but he returned a few years later to complete the project by 1935. Also by that time, the politics for Mexican muralists had returned again in their favor.
2: Calles kept power until 1934. It was called a period called the Maximato. Mm -hmm. So he kept power through surrogate presidents. Mm -hmm. And then in 1934, Lázaro Cárdenas took office and the mural movement burst back Mm -hmm. into full swing hmm. because he was a liberal.
4: Yep. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, exporter. he was the big uh, push as far as reclaiming uh, resources from uh, international investors back to Mexico. Um, He's actually from the town of Jiquilpan, Michoacan, where my wife's family's from. So okay. saludos <laughs> a He
2: expropriated the oil companies. That's
4: right. Uh-huh. He took it back. <laughs>
1: we can't end this episode without also talking about another important aspect of Diego Rivera, Namely, his very famous relationship with another famous Mexican artist, Frida Kahlo.
2: It's not like you to be late for lunch, Diego.
0: I was at the ministry explaining why a history of the Mexican people is an appropriate subject for the Mexican National Palace. Again? When I work, they scream about my politics. When I don't work, they scream about the delays. It's a farce. (laughs) Hijo de puta!
2: That model, huh?
0: Yes. It was just a f***, that's all. I've given more affection in a handshake. Well, that makes me feel so much better. Was she good, at least? Not very too bad. Painting. Diego Rivera
3: was famous for that. <laughs> he was a very, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say a word that is not, but he was very... Uh, <laughs> mujeriego. <come on. laughs> mujeriego He's said. a player. He's a player. A player.
1: <laughs> it turns out there are a lot of stories out there that don't paint Diego's personal life in the best light.
2: <laughs> and we do have um someone here in Utah, Tina Mizraki Martin, who grew up with Frida and Diego. Mm-hmm. So her dad was Diego Rivera's art dealer. Mm-hmm. And so she when she was a little girl like, you know, 8 years old, she spent a lot of time with Diego and Frida and um she the stories that she has about Diego's behavior are pretty outrageous. Mm-hmm. Um he really was obnoxious and he treated women badly and treated a lot of people badly. He just was, you know, he just he just loved to get attention and stir things up and, you know, cause trouble. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't come away from, right, I helped her with write a book about her growing up in Mexico. Mm. And I left not with really good feelings about Diego Rivera in terms of how he treated people and his family and those close to him.
1: Mm.
3: It is true that there were no uh, woman during, uh, women during this time period.
1: Another correction here. Fanny says that since this recording, there were actually a handful of female artists during the muralist period. She asked me to make a note of this.
3: Studying about muralism, I found uh, someone who was called uh, Fanny Rabel, which is my name. <laughs> did you hear did you... Do you know about her? No. Okay. You mean
1: female artists, so is that what you mean?
3: Yes. Yeah. And yeah. her name is Fanny, like oh. my name, <laughs> uh, Ravel. and she, is, uh, she came to Mexico in 1938. She was from Poland and later she, nationalized, uh, uh, she naturalized a Mexican. And she was a student of Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo. And she uh, developed her style of uh, painting children, especially children of homeless children and the injustice, uh, social injustice to children. Uh, so, yeah, she was one of the few in the circle of artists and painters, uh, among with Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera.
2: Mexican women as painters were not taken seriously. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting that many of them who got fame were immigrants. Tina Modotti was Italian, Tina
3: immigrant the one,
2: that's from right. u- the US, and, um, and then there were immigrants from Spain, Leonora Carrington, mm-hmm. Um, Remedio Varro. But Frida, you know, just thinking of how talented Frida was and the fact that she didn't get recognition at all. And even Tina Martin's dad, who was Diego's art dealer, we have asked Tina, why didn't your dad promote Frida? And Tina's belief is that Frida wasn't, didn't consider herself much of an artist. Mm. Uh, one thing, when Diego was painting the murals in Detroit and Frida was painting her paintings there, which was very public. People saw her painting, her little paintings, while Diego was painting the big murals. The Detroit News that was reporting on the murals titled an article, Wife of the Master Mural Painter Gleefully Dabbles in Works of Art.
3: Wow. <laughs> Who knew, huh? Frida is an iconic figure now in the, in the world. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: You can see images of Diego Rivera's murals that we discussed in this episode, including Night of the Poor, The Banquet of Wall Street, and The History of Mexico on the website and home for this podcast, artismexut.org. Also, as always, please share your own thoughts with us. What are your impressions of Diego Rivera's murals? Are there specific works or details of those works that stand out to you? Also, have you seen Rivera's History of Mexico mural? What did you think about it? And I want to know, if you were to paint a history of the United States in a single mural, what important moments or key people would you include? Let us know by leaving a comment in the section at the bottom of the podcast page. Thanks to Luis Lopez for his Chicano perspective. Thanks to Fanny Blauer for her Mexicana perspective. Thanks to Susan Vogel for her gringa perspective. The music you heard in this episode comes from Pacquiao de Lucia, Calexico, Antonio Pinto, Gustavo Santo Alaya, Pedro Bronfman, Elias Torres and his romantic guitar, and June Miyake. This podcast is made possible by a grant from Utah Humanities. Thanks to KCPW for the studio space. I'm Ross Chambliss. This is Nuevas Voces.